This life-changing message comes to you from Church of the Harvest. It's our prayer that this message will inspire your life and bring hope to your future. Easter Sunday, celebrating the resurrection, right? You know, we think about Easter, and we know that um, we know that Easter is about Jesus, right? And our kids grow up in children's church. And they know that Jesus, this, we celebrate Jesus dying for our sins and raising from the dead, right? How many of you know there's a little more to it than that? And with that, you know, when we begin talking about Jesus, we have to ask a question in our society today. Our, the question is, who is Jesus? How many you know that everybody looks at Jesus a little bit differently today? And we see that in our culture. We see that bleeding over into the church. And no matter if we've been a believer for eight minutes, eight months, or 80 years, we all have a little different perspective, a little different view of who Jesus is. Isn't that true? And I want to give you a quick example. You may have, uh, you may have seen, this, uh, seen this before, but um, I, I actually don't know if I've ever seen this movie, but this clip. So start over for me, and yeah, y'all watch this together. And let's get some volume. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, or as our brothers to the south call you, Jesus, we thank you so much for this bountiful harvest of Domino's, KFC, and the always delicious Taco Bell. I just want to take time to say thank you for my family, my two beautiful, beautiful, handsome, striking sons, Walker and Texas Ranger, or TR as we call them. And of course, my red-hot smoking wife, Carly, who's a stone-cold fox. Also want to thank you for my best friend and teammate, Cal Naughton Jr., who's got my back no matter what. Shake and bake. Dear Lord, baby Jesus, we also thank you for my wife's father, Chip. We hope that you can use your baby Jesus powers to heal him and his horrible leg. And it smells terrible, and the dogs are always mm. bothering with it. Mm. Dear tiny infant Jesus. Hey, um, you know, sweetie, Jesus did grow up. You don't always have to call him baby. It's a bit odd and off-putting to pray to a baby. Well, look, I like the Christmas Jesus best, and I'm saying grace. When you say grace, you can say it to grown-up Jesus or teenage Jesus or bearded Jesus or whoever you want. You know what I want? I want you to do this grace good so that God will let us win tomorrow. Dear tiny Jesus, your golden fleece diapers with your tiny little fat balled-up fist palm. He was a man. He had a beard. Look, I like the baby version the best. Do you hear me? I like to picture Jesus in a tuxedo t-shirt because it says, like, I want to be formal, but I'm here to party, too. Because I like to party, so I like my Jesus to party. I like to picture Jesus as a ninja fighting off evil samurai. I like to think of Jesus, like, with giant eagle's wings yeah. and singing lead vocals for Leonard Skinner with, like, an angel band. Hey, Cal, why don't you just shut up? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> All right. How many of you know we all have a little different view of Jesus today? Who likes a little baby Christmas time Jesus? Yeah. Little Jesus grew up. As you may have seen in your notes, actually, if you look in your service guide, you should have a note sheet in there. You can also follow along on the YouVersion Bible app. And uh, if you go to events and go to live, you can follow along. The notes are also there, so you can follow along. I called this, this drive-through Jesus. 
What in the world does this have to do with drive-through? Well, how many of you know that as Americans, we love the drive-through? We founded the drive-through. That's something to be proud of, isn't it? Woo! Go through and get our Big Mac, our Whopper, right? We love the drive-through. And, you know, we can pull up in a second, we can shout into a speaker, pull up to the next window and pay, and then they hand us exactly what we want, and we take off, right? It fits our busy lives. And today, you can use drive-through for just about anything. Obviously, food, coffee. I mean, you went through Starbucks this morning. Quit lying. Dry cleaning. Anybody ever dropped your drive cleaning off at a drive-through window? Banking. Go through a pharmacy. Even groceries now, really. You can pull up to Kroger, get your stuff online to begin with, and pull up, and they drop it off in your trunk, right? Pay your bills. Have you ever drove, driven by North Central and paid your bill before, right at, there at the window? You can even get married in a drive-through. Oh, yeah. You might have to go to Vegas, but you can get married in a drive-through. We know what we want. We want it our way, and we want it now. What is Burger King's slogan? Have it your way, Right? We are obsessed in our culture with our right to choose, aren't we? We want to choose everything. And unfortunately, in our society today, what we've done is we've brought Jesus down to our level. We made Jesus into whoever we wanted him to be. And with this mindset, when it bleeds over into the church, we find that we have a vast variety of Jesus to choose from. I'll give you an example. I went to Google, and I just typed in funny Jesus pictures in Google Images. You ready? I found a white Jesus. Certainly black Jesus. Yep. Asian Jesus. <laughs> Looks like Bruce Lee's about to kick some tail. Hispanic Jesus. How about best friend Jesus? I just love to snuggle up with Jesus. Funny Jesus? Superhero Jesus, always coming to my rescue. Angry Jesus? How about Jesus Claus? You know, we may laugh at that, but the reality is many Christians out there only go to Jesus when they need something. True? Only time we ever bow our head to pray. Oh, Lord, save me. I'm in trouble. Right? And I was thinking about this. We also have all different ideas of what Jesus looks like, right? I mean, some of us pictured Jesus, you know, actually, if you look at all the old, like, medieval, all those old paintings and stuff, he looks like a little shriveled up, you know, you know, super skinny little thing, you know. Oh, Jesus. Right? You have all these different pictures of Jesus out there. Uh, a few years ago, um, a group of scientists, I think it was, it was on Discovery Channel, they tried to figure out what Jesus really looked like. So what they did was they found, I think, um, uh, six or eight skulls, well-preserved male skulls from, um, from the area of Galilee and from back in Jesus' day. And they used forensics and they, they put ligaments over these skulls and, and did everything they could to try and make it look the way that... And so here's what they came up with. They said that that's what the average Galilean man looked like during Jesus' day. 
You can hit the next one, too. I think they released a couple. Yeah. And they actually made a, had this mold of it and stuff. And, of course, then, how many of you saw Heaven is for Real? The kid in Heaven is for Real said Jesus looks like this. Hmm. God, some better-looking Jesus, I guess. I don't know. I'll tell you the funniest picture I've seen of Jesus lately. It, it went around on Facebook, and I'm going to be honest with you. I can't remember who shared this, so if it was you, please don't get upset at me. Okay? Please don't get upset. But I thought it was hilarious. One of those, if you love Jesus, share this picture kind of thing. Go ahead and put it up. Guys, that's Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's not Jesus. <laughs> Somebody was trying to get a laugh at Christian's expense. That's Obi-Wan Kenobi. That's Star Wars right there. That's not Jesus. Okay? All right. Please, I'm sorry if that was your picture and I shared it. I, I, I really don't know. <laughs> we make Jesus into whoever we want him to be. People shop for food and clothes and cars and cell phones. People shop for wives. Who in here would admit they watch The Bachelor? I ain't raising my hand. I'm not getting my man card revoked. I have never seen that show before. Never. But I know it's got something to do with shopping around for a wife and giving them some rose, right? We shop around for a wife. We shop around for churches. We've had people actually walk in on Sunday morning and say, hey, welcome. They're like, hey, hey, uh, we're just shopping for churches. It's like, I mean, people actually say that. I'm shopping for a church. Like, why don't we pray and see where God leads us to go to church? But if we shop for all these things, why don't we just shop for Jesus? And I think that's what we've done as a culture. We've shopped around and we found the Jesus that we're going to give the rose to. Number 12, Jesus number 12, like in a lineup. We give them the rose and they're our Jesus. We've learned as a society to make Jesus into whoever we want him to be. And we tend to conform our view of Jesus into what makes us feel good and what makes us feel comfortable. I don't know about y'all, but when I look at the Bible, I don't see Jesus making people feel real good and comfortable most of the time. He was edgy. We tend to conform our view of Jesus into what's convenient for us. So, who is Jesus? If you want to follow along in your note sheet, um, I've actually, I'm going to ask three questions this morning. I'm going to answer the first two, and I'm going to have you answer the last one. But we're going to talk about who is Jesus. So the first question we got to ask, if we're going to, if we're going to answer that question, who Jesus is, the first question we got to ask is, who is Jesus historically? Who is Jesus historically? You realize if we're going to believe in Jesus, we first got to, we got to believe he exists, right? Let me tell you, this is one of the easiest things to prove right here, that Jesus existed in history. Most people who deny the existence of Jesus today, they are uneducated or ignorant or just in blatant denial. If you look it up, virtually all historians and all scholars, even atheists who believe there is no God, they all have found enough evidence without the Bible to agree on three things. They agree that Jesus existed in the area that he was born in, that he was a Galilean Jew. They believe, secondly, that he was baptized by John. And they believe, thirdly, that he was crucified under Pontius Pilate. Those are things that have been proven. And, and this whole point here about 
who is Jesus historically, I'm actually taking the Bible out of it. We're not going to use the Bible because I believe that most atheists can agree with every point I'm going to make in, in, this first, in this first point. Make sense? An approximate chronology of the life of Jesus can be estimated from non-Christian sources. And then you can confirm it with the Bible. So as I said, they confirmed that Jesus, from other sources, that Jesus was a Galilean Jew, and they from other sources have been able to determine that he was born between the year, of, between the year 7 and the year 2 B.C. That lines up pretty well, doesn't it? Lines up with Scripture, lines up with our calendar pretty well, right? They can also confirm that he died between the year 30 and the year 36 A.D. That lines up pretty well, too, doesn't it? The baptism of Jesus by John the Baptist can be dated approximately by a number of different sources. Uh, one of the major ones was Josephus, if you've ever read in, the, read in the writings of Josephus. But it can be estimated that Jesus was baptized by John between the years 28 and 35 A.D. We know that he, when he died, he was 33 years old, right? So, and his ministry was about three years, so this fits perfectly. The date of the crucifixion of Jesus that we know from other sources was before 36 AD, which would fit, because it was based on the, um, on the prefecture of um, Pontius Pilate as the, the governor of Roman Judea. And then we know from other sources that he was the prefect between 26 and 36 AD. Again, the Bible correlates all that perfectly, Right? To this day, all the other major religions of the world, you know, most all of them agree that Jesus existed. You know, the Jews don't even argue Jesus' existence. They just disagree that he was God, that he was a Messiah, right? Hindus, Hindus don't deny the existence of Jesus. They just don't believe that he was God. He was just another enlightened man. And when he said, the Father and I are one, that very much confirmed to Hindus their belief system. That we basically can come to our own uh, universal God consciousness. Does that make sense? Buddhists. Although Buddhists don't put their faith in Jesus, many, if not most, of Jesus' teachings are ascribed to by Buddhists. And they believe that he was basically an enlightened teacher and a holy man. Did you know that Muslims, Muslims totally believe in Jesus? As a matter of fact, Jesus' name is mentioned 25 times in the Quran. It's mentioned more than Muhammad. But they believe that Jesus was a mere mortal and that he was just like all the other prophets of old and that he was sent to just spread God's message. Those in the New Age movement, New Agers generally have no problem believing in Jesus and considering his teachings. Most won't even argue the deity of Jesus. Why? Because they believe we can all achieve the same thing, that God is within us all. Regardless of what you believe, it would be easy to argue that Jesus was the most influential person in the history of mankind. Everybody agree with that? I believe that most atheists could agree with that. In the name of Jesus, nations were overthrown. Wars were fought. He turned the entire world upside down. Of course, 
Non-believers are quick to point out that there were atrocities done in Jesus' name as well. Of course there were. Because humanity can be stupid. Right? That's not Jesus. And of course, the enemy tries to pervert the message as well. You know, for 2,000 years, the majority of hungry people that were fed in the world, they've been fed in the name of Jesus. For 2,000 years, the majority of needy people that have been clothed have been clothed in the name of Jesus. The majority of orphanages that have been established and run throughout history have been established in the name of Jesus. The majority of relief efforts, even today, that are provided in the wake of disasters are done in the name of Jesus. We don't see a big hurricane happen. We hear, well, the Muslims showed up first to bring relief to the scene. No, it's the church. You don't hear about the Jews or the Buddhists or any of them showing up. It's Jesus. He's there first. The majority of counsel and encouragement and support in the world through history has come in the name of Jesus. This is his impact. You know, even to this day, you know, Israel is still one of the top tourist destinations in the world. And just to kind of, kind of throw this out there, we're, we're um, working on a, on a trip. If anybody's ever wanted to go to Israel, we're working a couple years out on getting a trip together. Once in a lifetime trip to go see the Holy Land. But it is one of the t- hottest tourist destinations in the world. And I hear, when I, every time I mention it, somebody says, is that safe? Is that a safe place to go? I tell you, everybody I talk to says they have never felt safer than when they are in Israel. But let me tell you, just a proof in the pudding on that, more tourists visited Israel in 2017 than any other year. They, there was an estimated 3.6 million tourists, 700,000 more than, were, than 2016. And you would think they were mainly Jews, right? No. About a fifth of them were Jews. It's estimated that 56% of those tourists last year that visited Israel were Christian. They went in the name of Jesus. In 1992, it was estimated that 6 billion Bibles had been printed up to that point. They say today that 50 Bibles are sold every minute around the world. It's by far the most printed and best-selling book in all of history. And it's only because of Jesus. This is the historical Jesus. And just to touch on it, but can we all agree... That the Jesus of history changed the world. That he turned the world upside down. Regardless of whether you're a believer or not, he changed the world forever. Second question I want to ask today. You can fill in on your notes. Who is Jesus biblically? Now the last point I made about historical, like I said, I believe even most atheists can agree with most of those points. But biblically, you'll notice in your notes, this is where I have all the scriptures. You can pull your Bible back out now. Who is Jesus biblically? So if we, we can establish that he existed and that he made an impact on the world and that the Bible confirms history, let's talk about what the Bible says now then. Well, the Bible tells us first and foremost that Jesus is God and he always existed. We tend in the church to have this idea that Jesus was like born to God in the first chapter of Matthew. Jesus, like God had a baby, right? No, 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 no. Jesus has always been there. He's always existed. I'm going to prove it to you. If you have a Bible, you can turn. If you want to just follow along the note sheet, you can follow along. But I'm actually just going to run through these quick. But John chapter 1, John chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, and most of these are going to be from the New Living Bible. It says, in the beginning, the Word already existed. 
Well, you wonder, what in the world is the Word? Well, it says, the Word was God, was with God, and the Word was God. Then it says, he existed in the beginning with God. We now know that it's a he, right? God created everything through him, and nothing was created except through him. The Word gave life to everything that was created, and his life brought light to everyone. Now, if you jump down to verse 14... As he finishes out there, he says, So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory and the glory of the Father's one and only what? Son. It's all talking about Jesus. So if you look back at that previous passage, in the beginning, Jesus already existed. Well, we think of the beginning as Genesis, right? That was our beginning. Jesus already existed. And Jesus was with God, and Jesus was God. Jesus existed with God in the beginning. God created everything through Jesus. Nothing was created except through Jesus. And Jesus gave life to everything that was created, and Jesus' life brought light to everyone. How awesome is that? Jesus is God, and he has always existed. I'll show you a little more. In Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, in the beginning... God created the heavens and the earth. Now, most times the Bible just says God. It's either referring to the Father or, or the Trinity, the three in one. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty, and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God, most other versions actually say the Holy Spirit, was hovering over the face of the waters. So here, we can agree that we at least see the Father and the Holy Spirit present in Genesis, chapters one and two, uh, Genesis chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, right? And then in verse 3, God said, let there be light. And there was light. God spoke. What did he speak? He spoke words. This is Jesus in action. In verse, we know that it said that he gave life to everything that was created. Jesus did. To plants, animals, and even humans. In verse 26, God said, let us make human beings in our image to be like us. He spoke the word and it happened. This is Jesus. But he also, if you notice, he said, let us make human beings in our image. Everybody say us. God's not just talking to himself. He's not talking to the angels. This is plural. We're talking about the three in one. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit were all present right there at creation when God chose to make you and me. Mankind, we know, was given everything. God put Adam and Eve in the garden, and God told them to tend the garden and to take care of it, right? He told them to be fruitful and to multiply. He told them that if they ate of the forbidden fruit, that they would surely what? That they would surely die. And of course, this is talking about a spiritual death. This is talking about separation from God. But we know that they betrayed him through their own selfish, um, arrogant disobedience. And we know that through that, man gave up his freedom and in exchange chose to take on a curse of death and chose to be separated from the Father. And thus a curse came on all of creation. But we know from the book of Genesis that through his love, the Father had a plan to restore humanity back to him. Even though separation had come, Adam and Eve were no longer going to walk with the Father in the garden as they did before. They couldn't. It was impossible. But God had a plan to restore humanity back to him, right? And that plan would be fulfilled through Jesus. We know that Jesus was prophesied in Genesis chapter 3 to be the offspring of Eve. Jesus would be a man. And actually in Genesis chapter 3 verse 15, 
God is, the Father's talking to the serpent, and he says, I will put enmity, which means, it means hostility or, or animosity. I will put enmity between you and the woman, between your offspring and hers. This is the serpent. He's telling the serpent this. He will crush your head. Who is he? This is the offspring of Eve. The offspring of Eve will crush your head, and you will crush his heel. This is the first prophecy of Jesus coming as a man. And we know, how many of you know, that the redemption of mankind, it costs Jesus. But here's the thing. He would certainly be wounded for our transgressions. He would certainly be wounded, but in comparison to what it would cost the enemy, it was a heel wound. Everybody get that? Through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, he dealt such a wound to the enemy that nothing would ever be the same again. We know that mankind was cursed by a man through Adam, and the curse could only be reversed through a man. And that man would be Jesus. We know that humanity waited over 4,000 years. They estimate it was something like 4,200 years before that Messiah that was prophesied came. And we know, as we just talked about from history, that it was between the year 3 and 7 B.C. that Jesus was born. The Bible tells us that he was born to the Virgin Mary into the family of King David. Fulfilling a, and that fulfilled a seven to 800-year-old prophecy right there from, from Isaiah. We know that he grew and he lived a selfless, sinless, perfect 33-year life. We also know from the Bible that he was fully aware of the torturous death that awaited him. He knew how it would happen. He knew when it would happen. He knew where it would happen. And I'll show it to you. In Mark chapter 10, verses 33 and 34... It says, this is Jesus speaking to disciples. He says, listen, he said, we're going up to Jerusalem where the Son of Man, he's referring to himself, the Son of Man will be betrayed to the leading priests and teachers of religious law. Well, wait a minute. We're going up to Jerusalem. He's willingly headed to a place so that he can be betrayed. You see that it's his choice? It's not like, oh, I got caught in Jerusalem. He knows it's going to happen so he makes the choice to go there, which makes no sense to us, except that he chose this. This is what he was born for. If you look in verse, um, actually just continuing on there, it says, they will sentence him to die and hand him over to the Romans. They will mock him, spit on him, flog him with a whip and kill him. But after three days, he'll rise again. Instead of avoiding it, he chose it. This was his purpose. It's what he lived for. He lived so that he could come and die. It was his sole purpose. Matthew 20, verse 28, he said, Jesus said, For even the Son of Man, again referring to himself, for even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to, but to give his life as a ransom for many. He was the king of kings. He was God. If he had wanted to, he could, have been cho he could have chosen to be born into a palace. He could have spoken the word and made mankind bow before him. It's not why he came. He didn't come to be served, but to give his life as a ransom for many. We know that he went on and suffered under Pontius Pilate. He was bruised and beaten and torn. We're told 
that he was beaten so badly that he barely resembled a man. He was nailed to a cross. How many of you know that Jesus hanging on that cross, he couldn't die as a sinless man? God said, if you sin, you will surely die, right? Jesus hadn't sinned. So death had no right to him. But you know what Jesus does? He makes a choice. He chooses to take the sin of the world upon himself. He chose to substitute himself in your place and take your punishment for your failings. 1 Peter 2, 24 and 25 says, He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed, spirit, soul, and body. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. Guys, Jesus chose to take our sin and to take it to the grave. He fully paid the price for that sin, and he met all the requirements of our judgment. That means even the separation from God, that spiritual death that was talked about all the way in the beginning in Genesis, Jesus paid the price. He suffered what we would have to suffer. He fully paid the price. But we know that after that price was paid, death couldn't hold him any longer. Acts chapter 2, verse 24 says, but God released him, released Jesus, from the horrors of death. Jesus experienced our horrors and raised him back to life, for death could not keep its grip on him. And that's what we celebrate on Easter, right? We know that from this point onward, all any man or any woman had to do was die to themselves, surrendering their life to Jesus, making him the Lord and Master, accepting his sacrifice, about to lose my mic, accepting his sacrifice as their own, accepting him as a substitution for our sin and our punishment. And the Bible says that that puts you in right standing with the Father again. That you never have to experience that spiritual death, that you never have to experience being separated from God again, not on earth and not in eternity. Hebrews 7.25 says he's there now, talking about Jesus again, he's there now to eternity to save everyone who comes to God through him, always on the job to speak up for them. You know, it's a, Jesus is always on the job for you. This means when the enemy comes against you and tries to bring guilt and shame back upon you, tries to remind you of your past, all Jesus does is points at the blood and says, nope, paid for. Can't bring that up. Scratch that from the record from the court. Scratches it. When we stand before God in the end and the enemy, the accuser, tries to come before us and, 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 and tries, to, tries to take claim to our life before the Father, every accusation he makes, if we've surrendered our life to Jesus, every accusation he makes against us, Jesus will say, nope, stop. That one's covered by the blood. And the enemy will say, well, what about? And he'll say, nope, that one's covered by the blood. Nope, covered by the blood, covered, covered. He's there on the job, speaking up for us. Who is Jesus biblically? 
Jesus is the Messiah. He's the one who loved us so much that he dedicated himself to paying the price, a great price, and doing whatever it took to make things right between us and the Father again. So that's who Jesus is historically. That's who Jesus is biblically. Question number three. Who is Jesus to me personally? You can write that down in your note sheet. Who is Jesus to me personally? And guys, this is a question that every human being, God asks every human being in this life. God asks it. And we see it in Luke chapter 9, verses 18 through 20. It says, one day Jesus left the crowds to pray alone, and only his disciples were with him. And he asked them, who do people say that I am? Well, they replied, some say John the Baptist, some say Elijah, others say that you're one of the ancient prophets risen from the dead. And he asked them, but who do you say that I am? And Peter replied, you're the Messiah sent from God. You're the Christ, the son of the living God, right? Jesus asks everybody, who do you say that I am? Is he sweet little baby Jesus? I like the Christmas Jesus. Yeah. Is that who he is? Is he an enlightened man? Is he another one of the prophets? Is he just another man that just somehow, by coincidence, ended up being the center of all history? You know, I don't want to get too far off topic, but... That's just funny to me. You know, back a number of years ago, they tried to change the calendar. They changed B.C. to B.C.E. before Common Era. If you go to any major college or university, they don't ever say B.C. because it refers to Christ. They say B.C.E., before Common Era. And A.D., uh, instead of the year of our Lord, it's um, Common Era, C.E. They still begin and end with Jesus. At least completely wipe the calendar, start it over. Call this year one or do something if you want to get rid of them. Don't start it with his life. How do you avoid it? How do you teach the events of history when even the calendar you've tried to erase Jesus from still begins and ends with him? And this is our smart people that came up with this. You know? We were going to wipe Jesus out. Calendar's still going to be completely based on his life. But we're going to take his name out of it. Who is Jesus to you? And you, like many of us, you may have played the fast food game and treated Jesus like another fast food item that you go to get. How many of you know we've all probably in our Christian walk at some point made excuses and we've said things like, well, well, God knows my heart. God understands. God may have blah, 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 blah. Excuses, excuses, excuses. We made Jesus who we didn't do what we want him to be. Right? Have we treated Jesus like Burger King? Have it your way. Did we pick the Jesus that we wanted to give the rose to? When in reality, he chose us as his bride. Have you chosen the Jesus that you want to serve and done it on your own terms? Do we treat Jesus or did we serve, do we serve a Jesus that makes us feel good and comfortable? You know, we all look at Jesus in different ways, like I was talking about earlier. Some of us like to picture little baby Jesus. Some of us like to picture little soft-spoken, shriveled-up Jesus. Some of us like to serve the Jesus that looks like the rock overturning tables in the temple. Yeah, Jesus. 
Which Jesus do you serve? To the one that makes you feel good and comfortable? Maybe it's the one who grants your every wish, like Santa Claus. Oh, we can laugh. But I would argue it's much the body of Christ. Do we serve a Jesus of convenience? The Bible goes on also to promises. Actually, the Bible tells us that on the third day, he rose again, right? And it tells us that he's seated at the right hand of the Father and that he will come again to judge the living and the dead. And when that day comes, mark my word, you're going to stand before him. And the question is, what will he find in you? And people say, well, I don't know. I think we do. I think we really do. If we get gut level, I think we know where we stand with God. When we say we don't know, it's like, yeah, 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 hmm, yeah. Did you accept the sacrifice? Did you choose a life of surrender? Or do you choose a life where you think you know what's best? Do we choose a life of selfishness for these few short years that we live on earth over living a life of surrender so that we can have eternity with our Savior? Surrender means that we no longer live for ourselves. See, Jesus said, if you love me, you keep my commands. Well, we can't possibly keep all the commands, right? But we do our best to live for them. We aren't perfect, but we do the best we can, and we don't pick and choose the parts of the Bible that we want to follow. Guys, God wants us to come all in, all or nothing, all or nothing. Or it's not surrender. The greatest news in history, God loves us so much that he made a way out when we were in bondage to a terrible curse. By law, justice demanded death, and that was required even for the smallest failing but we know that Jesus gave his life in our place. Now all we have to do is give our life to him. Now, I know that sounds hard, but here's the thing. It's what we were created for. We will never find satisfaction and peace in life, in this life, until we surrender our life to Jesus. We will always be searching and we'll never find what we're looking for until we do what we were created to do, and that's to surrender ourselves to him and say yes to, say yes to Jesus. Let's bow our heads. Every head bowed, please. My question would be, what Jesus will you serve? chosen a Jesus that best, best serves your needs and your comfort and your way of life? Or have you chosen to serve the Jesus of the Bible that's confirmed through history who gave his life in exchange for you? Have you surrendered your life to the Jesus that's alive today? one who sits on the throne, the one that's there ready to come to your defense, the one that's ready to silence the accuser, to take your guilt and shame, to call you innocent of your failings and your sin. 
Are you ready to call on him this morning? I'm going to give you the opportunity. We're going to pray together in a moment to make Jesus Lord. Let me say, it's not the prayer that does it. It's the decision of your heart that you choose that you're going to give your life to him. You choose to surrender to him. You choose to give up your way of doing things. You choose to live your life for him and according to his word. You choose to allow him to use you as he sees fit. And you follow him all the days of your life. It's a decision of your heart, not so much the words that you say. So before you say those words with me here in a moment, I want you to get things settled inside. This isn't a flippant flippant decision that we make, something we make on a whim because we just saw a video that made us feel a little sorry for the person on the screen. This is a decision we make because we realize we can't make it on our own. We realize that we can't find peace in our life. We recognize that it's only found through our Savior every head bowed. If that's you and you would say, I need to give my life to Jesus today. You may have prayed the prayer before. You may not have. But you recognize that your life isn't surrendered to him. With every head bowed, if that's you and you would say, I need to surrender my life today, just lift your hand up high so I can see it this morning. Who in this place would say, I need to surrender my life to Jesus? Lift it up high for me. Second thing I want to ask you. You may be here, and you may have been born in the church. You may have called yourself a follower of Jesus, a Christian your entire life. But you recognize that you're not really following him right now. You recognize that you've kind of wandered away. You recognize that you're living for yourself. You don't give second thought to God in your life. And you realize that you need to rededicate yourself to him this day. And look, the Bible says that that's great news because God is always ready. His arms are always open wide. When we're a prodigal son or prodigal daughter, we've gone off on our own, trying to do our own thing, trying to make our own way. He's always standing there with arms open wide with a big smile on his face, ready to receive us. If that's you, and you would say, I need to get my life right today. I need to get my life back on track. I need to make God first priority. If that's you, lift your hand up high for me to see this morning. Okay, who else? Who else would say, I need to get my life right with the Lord this morning? If you've got your hand up, there was, there was a couple. Put your hand up high for me. Um, the ushers are going to bring you a book. You're going to put it in your hand. Let me get an usher down here. Come on. Right here. Every head bowed. Yeah. Yep. 
We're going to pray a prayer together. Look, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter if you raise your hand or not. Again, this is about the heart. We're going to pray this, and if you mean it, the Bible says you become a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things become new. Jesus becomes Lord and Master of your life. His blood covers your sin. If you died today, you wouldn't have to be afraid of standing before the Father. Let's all pray together. Say, Heavenly Father, I'm sorry for my failings. I'm sorry for my shortcomings. I'm sorry for living this life my way, for thinking I knew what was best. I recognize I'm nothing without you. I'm lost without you. Jesus, I dedicate my life to you. Be Lord of my life. Be master. I surrender. I'm done. I give up. My hands are raised before you. Take charge. Take control. Forgive me of my sin. Forgive me of my shortcomings. Holy Spirit, fill me. Empower me to do everything that you've called me to do. I will follow you all the days of my life. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. If you'd like to get more information about resources from Church of the Harvest, please check out our website at midsouthharvest.org. You may also contact us by phone at 662-890-1573 or toll free at 866-383-8277.